I'm sure we all come here this morning bearing something, right? We're four or five weeks into school. You're probably feeling a little overworked, overwhelmed, burdened. You're too busy. You're feeling anxious, whatever it is. Can we just take a moment and relax? Can we just take one deep, slow breath together? So breathe in. And out. Do you feel just a little bit more centered? Maybe a little bit more relaxed? That's the hope of this morning, is that we are able to relax in Jesus, in his work. And if you've been following us this semester, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And last week, Aaron unpacked a conflict that Peter and Paul had with one another and how they reconciled it, how they came to an agreement with one another, right? They agreed on what the truth of the gospel was, and they agreed to live it out and preach it to different people in different places. All was good. At least Paul thought that. Paul really isn't prepared for what happens next. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 2. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 to start. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came back, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what's going on. Paul is finding Peter guilty of something, right? The text tells us that he was condemned. Paul's telling Peter that he's wrong. And the language is actually really, really strong. It's that Peter was tried and found guilty, that he was condemned. But what is Peter condemned of? Hypocrisy, right? He's, he's condemned of hypocrisy in going back on his word because just previously, Paul and Peter had agreed on what the truth of the gospel was, that it was for all people at all times, in any place, in any moment. But then what we have, what Peter does, is he's enjoying eating with Gentiles. He's eating with people. But then this certain group shows up, the circumcision party, and the text tells us that Peter draws back. He stops eating with them. And so Peter is condemned of hypocrisy, and he's going back on his word that he and Paul had previously agreed on. And Peter even tells us, or Paul even tells us that Peter's behavior, his conduct was out of step with the truth of the gospel. 
And so it's important to realize kind of these two groups that are, that are a part of this. First, you have these rival teachers. Our text calls them the circumcision party. They're teaching an understanding that, uh, a Jewish understanding, that when you, when you eat with Gentiles, when you eat with uncircumcised people, it actually makes you unclean. And this is based on an old way of thinking. This is based on the Jewish law, the Torah, right, that they still believed was still in full force. And any relaxation of it would be disobedience and disloyalty. And this understanding, this old way of thinking, created this hierarchy between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, right? A a favored and unfavored, an inner circle and an outer circle, a higher and a lower. And Peter's actions affirmed this. But then you kind of had Jesus people, right? You, You had Gentile Christians who believed that table fellowship, eating together, was a picture and a celebration of God's cleansing power, right? That there is one table and one family in Christ Jesus because of Christ Jesus. Old identity markers and boundary markers no longer have any bearing. So Peter was eating with the Gentiles, and the text tells us that he drew back, or he shrunk back. He stopped eating with them. Why? Why did Peter shrink back from the truth of the gospel? Out of fear. The text tells us in verse 12 that he feared the circumcision party. (coughs) And to dig a little deeper, I wonder if it wasn't just fear, but he desired the approval of, of these rival teachers. The text doesn't tell us that, but as I think about fear, did he desire the approval of these rival teachers coming in, and was he fearful of losing it? Because Peter knew what was true. He and Paul had just agreed on the truth of the gospel, but now he had shrunk back from the truth of the gospel out of fear. And doesn't this happen to all of us? Don't we, in our minds, so often know the truth of the gospel, what Jesus has done and what his word says, but for whatever reason, in whatever circumstance, we shrink back from the truth? Maybe we fear that we're not good enough, so we shrink back from the truth and believe our identity is in what we do, what we have, or in what other people think of us. Maybe we fear that God is angry or disappointed in us. So we shrink back from the truth and we do everything in our own power and in our own effort to get back on God's good side. Or maybe we fear that our doubt and our questions and our wrestling separates us from God. So we shrink back from the truth and we are not honest and everything appears well on the surface but our hearts are dead. Or maybe we fear certain people, or certain groups, or certain ideas, so we shrink back from the truth to please them, no matter the cost. I think Paul is recounting this story to Peter, and to the Galatians, and to us, to let us know 
that vacillating from faith to fear and back again is part of the human condition. As humans, we have a tendency to wobble, to vacillate, right? To have faith and to fear and doubt that faith and to go back again. It's kind of the story of the human life. So when I read this text personally, you know who I find myself identifying with most? It's Peter. It's the back and forth. Right? I find myself to be Peter who just a short while ago believed the truth of the gospel, but then shrunk back from it out of fear. Do you find yourself in that place sometimes? So what Paul wants to do the rest of this text is to express the truth of the gospel. He wants us to understand the truth of the gospel so that when fear or anxiety or doubt or sin comes along the way, we do not shrink back from the truth, but we relax into the truth. We relax in to Jesus. And so that's the goal for the rest of our time this morning, is that we know the truth of Jesus so that we can relax into Jesus. So what is the truth of the gospel? What is the truth of Jesus? Paul tells us in verses 15 to 21. Let's go there. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So what is the truth of the gospel? I think Paul expresses it here. here here's the first truth that I want us to realize and understand this morning, is that the truth of the gospel is about the faithfulness of Jesus to us, rather than our faithfulness to Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 16, it is a packed sentence with a lot of vital words from Paul that are often misunderstood. In verse 16 alone, Paul says three different times that a person is justified or declared righteous through faith in Jesus. Let's, let's just look at it real quick. Verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. He says a, a variation of the same thing three different times. That means it's important. 
That means it's a big deal. So what does faith in Jesus mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Language we hear all the time, language we use all of the time in our Christian circles. Many scholars actually think a better translation of this text will help us understand. So here's one that's translated directly from the Greek to the English. Here's another translation of verse 16. But we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. That is why we too believed in the Messiah, Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness, and not on the basis of works of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. Do you hear the difference? Do you see on the screen the difference? The focus of the gospel is on the faithfulness of Jesus. Here's how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, the focus is on the loving, self-giving, grace-embodying, and ultimately faithful work of the Messiah. The people of God are from now on known by, identified by, and marked out by the faithfulness of Jesus. It's the faithfulness of Jesus that declares us righteous. That's what justification means in this text. When it says to be justified, it means to be declared righteous. And in this text, it's not primarily talking about a future salvation, but it's talking about a present identification as God's people, as God's sons, as God's daughters right now. And so the Jewish law is no longer the identity marker for the people of God. Jesus' faithfulness and his work on the cross is. In this translation, this understanding of verse 16 rightly lessens the act of human faith. I want to say that again. This, this understanding rightly lessens the act of our own human faith. Many commentators talk about how a better definition of believe in or have faith in is actually to relax in or to trust in. Right? We need to relax in the faithfulness of Jesus and what he has done. Faith is something you relax into. It's not something you muster up. Here's how another commentator puts it. They say, if the faith of believers is divorced from Christ's faith, we seem to end up with yet another permutation of humanity pulling itself up by its own bootstraps. Right? And, I, and I just wanted to clarify something really quick. That yes, there is an aspect of human faith that is vitally important. That, that is not absent at all. Right? Paul even says it in this text. If we see out of the three times that he says we're justified in Christ, the first and the last one talk about the faithfulness of Jesus, but the one in the middle talks about our belief in Jesus. That is still a very important aspect of faith. But the context of our own faith is always the faithfulness of Jesus first. The context of our own faith, human faith, understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done, is always the faithfulness of Jesus for, first. And when we divorce our faith from Jesus' faithfulness, it just becomes a faith that we do by pulling up 
ourselves from our own bootstraps. And aren't you sick of this type of faith? A faith where you must pull yourself up from your own anxiety or addictions or doubt or fear. A faith that divides based on cultural identity markers like race, finances, or politics. What if Jesus came to you, which he did, he came here, met you where you're at, and then pulled you up to where he was? In time, he met you in the midst of whatever is happening right now, and in time, he pulled you up. Irenaeus of Lyon has famously said this, Christ became what we are in order that in him we might become what he is. That's the gospel. Christ came to you, met you where you're at, and through his work is pulling us up to where he is. And so, Dor, this is reason to relax in the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Take a deep breath in that. That our status as the people of God is about the faithfulness of Jesus to us rather than our faithfulness to Jesus. Here's the second truth of the gospel that Paul pulls out in verses 17 and 18. The truth of the gospel is that our effort condemns us, but Jesus' effort saves us. Paul transitions in the text here in verses 17 and 18. He starts to say, I. But what he really means is Peter. Right? He, this is kind of a glimpse into the conversation that Paul and Peter were having, and he's letting the Galatians peek in on it, and he's letting us peek in on it. And so what Paul is really saying here, he's saying, Peter, when you shrunk back from the truth by not eating with Gentiles, you condemned yourself. Why? Because the Torah, the law, the old way of thinking is against Jewish people eating with Gentiles. And guess what? Peter had already eaten with Gentiles. We can go back to Acts chapter 10 and the vision and Cornelius and, and Peter was eating whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted in that moment. And then even in our text this morning, Peter is eating with the Gentiles, enjoying the fellowship and the benefits of the people of God together. But then when the rival teachers show up, he shrinks back. You know, it'd be kind of like Maybe you came into this year, maybe you're a freshman or, you know, maybe whatever year you are in school, maybe you came in this year and you're saying, you know what, I'm not dating this year. Anyone? I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on my studies. And you know what, I'm, you just swear off relationships in general, right? Or at least if you're a freshman, you know, you don't date until tri-state. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Some of you are breaking it, I know. I've heard in my office, pastoral care, I'm just kidding. But seriously. <laughs> Right? But, okay, so then this girl and this guy comes along and they sweep you off of your feet and you're like, you know what? God's calling me to date. Right? I'm going to date. And so it's beautiful and it's great. You enjoy the benefits. Okay? But then you go home for Christmas. Something changes and you get back, uh, back over in January and you break up. Right? It's just not the same. And so then you just swear off dating all again. God, and you like condemn people who are dating and you're like, I'm done. Anybody relate to this? Me, and when I was in college, right? But, right, you go back to an old way. You go from I'm not dating to I am dating to I'm not dating again. You condemn yourself because you've already dated and you've partook. That's what's happening 
in this. And so what Paul is saying is if we go back to the old way, the way of human identity markers based on politics, race, class, effort, or any other man-made boundary marker, we condemn ourselves and we shrink back from the truth. Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And again, I want to clarify. I am not saying effort and good works are bad. They're actually really vital to the Christian life. Right? I'm not saying that I, I, aligning ourselves with a particular ideological tribe is wrong either. But when those things become the place where we find our ultimate identity— and even our salvation, they really become like filthy rags. Because our effort and our ideological tribes cannot save us or the world. Because we will ultimately fall short or they will fall short. But you know what? Jesus does not fall short. Jesus saves. Jesus renews. Jesus redeems. Jesus restores. Jesus sets free. And so, Dort, we are called to relax into Jesus and his work and his effort because that's where righteousness is found. It's not found in what we do. It's found in the faithfulness of Jesus because effort and striving alone are antithetical to what it means to be in Christ. And so the truth of the gospel is that our effort condemns us while Jesus' effort saves us. So relax in that truth. Relax into Jesus and confidence that his effort on the cross has saved you fully and completely. Here's the last truth that we'll pull out from verses 19 to 21. The truth of the gospel is that resurrection determines your identity rather than the world. I'm going to be really honest about these verses. These are some of the most famous words Paul ever wrote and ever said, and they're some of the most complex, and I'm just going to tell you there's no way I can fully do them justice because they are beautiful and rich and powerful. So I simply want to summarize what he's getting at here. Right? We, we know these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God. Basically what Paul is saying here is Jesus himself is the only identity marker of God's people. Yes, fleshly life still exists, right? It, the life he lives in the flesh still exists, right? Our bodies are decaying. I lose a little bit of my hair like every year as I, you know, get, get to 30 so old. No, I'm sorry, just kidding. Those who are above that. Right? Our bodies are decaying. Our world is ravaged by sin, we fall short daily, and life sometimes is just really hard. But guess what? That no longer determines identity. The grades you make, the sins you struggle with, the family you come from, your sexuality, your race, your finances, or anything else, those are no longer the primary identity markers for who you are. Living in the faithful, self-giving love of Jesus defines you. That we are resurrection people. I'll close with this. 
Paul says after this, he says, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Again, this can be translated, I live in the faith of the Son of God rather than in the Son of God. I live in the faith of the Son of God, and look what he says, who loves me and gave himself for me. I just, can we pause there? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's all this talk of what the gospel is and, and what it affects and what is kingdom and what are all these things and, and maybe there's even critiques of, of an oversimplistic understanding of the gospel. But can I just remind you, in its very simple form, Jesus loves you. Like he is so enthralled with you. Like he loves you right where you're at, right now, fully and completely. God could never love you any more or any less than he does in this moment because he loves you to the fullest extent here and now as you sit here. And did you know he loves you so much that he gave himself for you? That he died for you? That he died for you and for all people so that all people can come to the same table and enjoy fellowship because there's one people of God, one family of God at one table because of Jesus, in Jesus. We all get to take part in resurrection life. Jesus and his death and his resurrection have redefined for all time who the people of God really are. That's the truth of the gospel that Paul is expressing. That the hardships of this world do not define you, but Jesus does. And so Dort University, I hope you know that faith is not some intellectual assent to truth. I hope you know that faith is not some personal rigor or effort that we earn our way to God. And I hope you know that faith isn't some confidence in the power of God and what he can do. But faith is relaxing into the faithfulness of Jesus. Because through his death and his resurrection, he has made you a new creation. He has given you a new name. He has made you a new people. And he's given you an eternal identity that will never go away. So in understanding these truths, there is no reason to shrink back from the truth of the gospel any longer out of fear. But the only response is to relax into Jesus and his faithfulness and his work and his effort and in his resurrection identity that he's given us. So I want to invite the gospel choir back up. And as they come up, I just, I just want to pray for us. Father, we need you. Lord, I pray whatever is causing us to shrink back from the truth in this moment, on this day, fear, anxiety, doubt, sin, people-pleasing, whatever it is, Lord, may we no longer shrink back from it, but we, may we relax into you, Jesus, into your faithfulness, into your death and into your resurrection. 
Lord, may we be so secure in our identity as sons and daughters of the living God that you love us and you gave yourself for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.